Like, that ain't cheating. His phone out. You don't actually have to read it, but I just want to see how fast you can get there. Do you actually know where it's found? Have you memorized where it's located? I'll tell you. I'll tell you. Ready? Old Testament. There's a hint. First five books of the Bible. Mm. You're half right. You're half right. She said Exodus 20. She's half right. Yeah, yeah, you're half right. That's great. Ah, there's a duplicate section. Deuteronomy 5. That's where we're headed today. Oh, you didn't know that, huh? I don't know why, but I'm a numbers person. Ever since I was a little kid, like eight years old, I had those two memorized. I don't know why I'm just weird like that, but Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5. All right. We'll read the first five verses and then we'll open a word of prayer. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 1. Moses summoned all of Israel and said, Hear, O Israel, the decrees and laws I declare in your hearing today. Learn them. Be sure to follow them. The Lord your God made a covenant with us at Horeb. It was not with our fathers that the Lord made this covenant, but with us, with all of us who are alive here today. The Lord spoke to you face to face out of the fire on the mountain. And at that time, I stood between the Lord and you to declare to you the word of the Lord, because you were afraid of the fire and did not go up to the mountain. Lord our God, as we open your word today, uh, we pray that your word would speak in truth. And that every word that comes from this pulpit, Lord, will be yours. I pray that you would be honored and glorified. Uh, may you prick our hearts this day, Lord, to love you more, to want to serve you more, and to be appreciative for all that you have done for us. We give you thanks for your holy and precious word. Sons, let me pray. Amen. But Brian, why are we studying the Ten Commandments? That's like, that's old. Like, that wasn't even written for us today. Like, it just says right here, who, who is God talking to? He's talking to the Israelites. That's not even us. We're not even, we're not even, I don't think, no, you're not Jewish. <laughs> None of us are even here Jewish that I'm aware of. Why are we even studying this? It has no application to me. We have the New Testament with the things in there that God wants to tell us. The Old Testament, what? Right? No. The Old Testament, the Ten Commandments. Are the Ten Commandments found in the New Testament? Actually, every single one of them, I'm not going to give you all the references, you can go study on your own, but in fact, the Ten Commandments, all except for one of them, can be found, taught by Jesus, and in the epistles. So they are very applicable to us today. They are very applicable to us today. The only one that you will not find large support for is the Sabbath. Keep the Sabbath and keep it holy. Remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. Okay, But we're going to take a look at that anyways. Okay, uh, All of them are very applicable to us today. So we're going to take a look at what God said. We're not going to hit all of them. Because right? uh, they're, they're broken into two sections, right? you got the first four, which are between you and the Lord. All right? The nation of Israel and the Lord. And then the, the second section, with the six of them at the end there, are between me and my neighbor. How we, how we approach other people, right? The first four are about how we approach God how we interact with God and the ways that the things that he expects. And then in the second six, 
okay, are about, hey, don't murder other people. Hey, don't lie to other people. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal from other people, right? Those are things that you've heard all the time. They're pretty simple and self-explanatory, all right? And Jesus does many great, more in-depth teachings about what it is to commit adultery, what it is to commit murder, all right, and, and the depth of those. All right, we're not going to actually get into that today. Um, <clears throat> but simply put, we know that it, Jesus even said this, uh, you know, he, asked, he even asked a question one time, what is the greatest commandment? And, and the response was what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. There's the first four commandments in a nutshell. And then the second four, the second six, I mean, would be wrapped up in what? And love your neighbor as yourself. So right there is a nutshell of the Ten Commandments in the whole. All right? Now, what was going on at the time when this was actually written? Well, we know that God, backtrack in the Bible, right? God called Abraham, said, listen, I want you to be a special people unto myself. And he gave him many promises. Ones that were unconditional, no matter what happens, I will do these things for you. And then some of them were even conditional. If you do this, then this will happen to you. If you do this, I'll bless you. If you do this, then, well, then you'll be cursed. Okay. Now, Abraham and his people ended up in Egypt. After 400 years, they were in slavery there. And God took his people and brought them out of Egypt. He freed them. He freed them through Moses. All right. Now, they're in the desert. They are free. And they come to the Sinai Peninsula, and there on a mountain, God speaks to his people, all right? And he's got some expectations for them. And that's basically what the Ten Commandments are. Hey, you know a little bit about me, God says. Excuse me. I want to reveal more about myself and who I am to you. The things I like, the things I don't like. The expectations I have for you since you are my people. And that's kind of what we want to get into today. Now, real quick, I just, I just, I love this little thing here. Just a little side note, verse 5. I will read verse 4, right? The Lord spoke to you face to face out of the fire of the mountain. And at that time, I, who's I? Moses, right? Moses is the one who, who wrote this. And at the time, I stood between the Lord and you to declare to you the word of the Lord. I love that how Moses acts as a little intercessor, a little mediator there. God, uh, Moses goes on behalf of the people before the Lord. Because the people were what? They're afraid. They're afraid of the most holy God. Because he's speaking out of the mountain on fire. I, just, I love the picture how, that was Jesus Christ, right? Jesus Christ went on my behalf because I cannot approach the holy God in my sinful state. I cannot approach God. Jesus Christ went on my behalf. The Bible says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus. See, Jesus Christ went between God the Father and us and made intercession for us. He made it possible for us to have a relationship with him. Just as Moses did there on the mountain. A little foreshadowing of what Jesus Christ would do for us. It's a great little picture. Now, verse 6. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. Did God talk to Moses in a vision? Did he talk to his people in a vision? Were they asleep and God gave them a dream? No, no. God the Father, he, he spoke out of the mountain. Did all the people hear it? Yeah, the people heard this. God the Father spoke from heaven. That's a big deal, guys. Big deal here. 
How often does that happen in the Bible? How many times did God the Father speak from heaven audibly so people could hear him? It's not many. It's not many. Now, Jesus Christ, the pre-incarnate state and, and, and after, right? He spoke multiple times. But how many times has God the Father been heard audibly? It's very few and far between. We know that he spoke at Jesus' baptism. We know that he spoke at Jesus' transfiguration, right? And other times he spoke to individual prophets. All right? But it's not very common that God spoke from heaven so a large, a large audience of people could hear it. It must be a pretty big deal if he's going to do that. Pretty big deal. And when he says that, I, the Lord, your God, he's saying right here, hey, listen. All right? The Lord being capitalized, right? Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, right? I, Jehovah, I, Yahweh, the one who made the universe, the all-powerful supreme being, and the one who is speaking to you today. Do I have authority to expect things? Absolutely, I do. Does anyone else in this universe have authority like me? No one does. I have supremacy over all things. God is putting forth uh, his title. This is who I am. And when he's saying this, all right, you know that when he talked to Moses, how did he refer to himself as Moses? Moses, go to the people and say, I am who I am has sent you. I am has sent you. When he's saying this, he's really saying, all right, within the title Yahweh, all right, it means to be. I am the to be God. I am the self-existent one. I have no beginning. I have no end. I am everything. I am everything. This is who is talking to you right now. You better listen up. And I don't want you to just listen because of who I am. I don't want you to obey me because of just who I am. Yes, I have the right to say those things to you. Yes, I have the right to expect things from you because I am the God who made you. But more importantly, what does it say there? I am the God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Hey, I'm going to ask some things of you, and I don't want you to just obey me because I am God and I say so. No, I want you to obey me because I saved you. And you love me. And you're grateful. And you're thankful. And you're appreciative of what I've done for you. I'm about to bring you into the greatest land ever, flowing full of milk and honey, where the garden's already planted, the food's already ripe, you're just going to show up, and it's going to be wonderful for you. You've got no work to do. I'm going to take care of everything for you. I, I, I'm asking you these things, and I'm hoping that you're going to do them, because you love me. I can, I can demand them from you, but I really want to ask you to do it because you appreciate who I am and what I've done for you. it really reminds me of the New Testament principles of, wait a minute, does God expect anything from me as a Christian? As a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, are there any expectations for me? The answer is yes. And does God have the right to demand those things of me? Absolutely he does. But what does God say to us? We could turn to you know Ephesians chapter one. I was just thinking this morning, just just dawned on me like, man, God calls his people and says, Listen, serve me, do what I say. Why? Because 
I'm God, and because I saved you out of Egypt. But man, if you read through Ephesians chapter 1, you'll be amazed of all the things that God has done for you and for me as his followers. All right? He has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. Verse 4, he chose us in him before the creation of the world. God picked you before the creation of the world. That's awesome. That's really cool. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as sons. I'm adopted into his family. Okay? In accordance with his good will. Let's see. We have been, I'm backing up now. We have been declared holy and blameless. All right, verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. God has forgiven you of your sins. Guys, you you were on your way to hell. You were on your way to hell, and God freed you from that, pardoned you from that. That's huge. See, what God did for Egypt. He did for us like 30,000 times over. How much more love and, and appreciation should we have towards him and the things that he asked for us? Huge. I know sometimes we just, you know, we say these things and they become like just everyday part of our Christian routine. Yeah, God loves me. God shows me grace. God shows me mercy. But like, just sit back sometimes and ponder on that. It should blow you away. All that God has done for you. All right, back to our, what we're talking about, Ten Commandments. Sorry. Deuteronomy chapter 5. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Ready? First commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. It's pretty simple, right? It's pretty self-explanatory. I was talking to John, and John was super excited because I was going to do some alliteration. I was like, ah, I don't know, it's too much. Like, you know, I, I had like four points aligned with all the, the things. And he's like, oh, I'm so excited to hear about it. And I, I, I'm not that good. I'm not good at full alliteration. But we see here the object of worship. Who does God expect us to worship? Him and Him alone. Israel had a tough time with this one. See, they came from Egypt where there were tons of gods. Hundreds of different kinds of gods. When they moved into the land that the promised land, everybody who surrounded them all served foreign and multiple gods. And God says to them, listen, I am the only one you are to worship. For us today, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, is the only Godhead that we are to worship. Only one worthy of all of our praise. Now when we say worship, what does that mean? It means to give worth to. To think great and highly of. I would say that's simple. I, I'm a Christian. I don't follow any other gods. I don't follow you know, Allah or you know, any of the other religions. That's simple. I got that one down. Simple, right? But we do know this, that pride makes God of ourselves. Covetousness makes God of money. Sensuality makes God of the belly. Whatever is loved, feared, delighted in, or depended on more than God, that we make a God. Yeah, we say God's number one in my life, but do we actually live it out day by day? God knows. He knows what's going on inside of us. He knows what we treasure, what we value, more than Him. 
You know, God, it's uh, March Madness right now. Yeah, I do my devotions at night, but uh, yeah, the game's just starting. And uh, it doesn't end until like 11.30 tonight, so I'll hit you up tomorrow, God. It's okay. All right, what, what did I just do? I just took God and put him in second place. All right. I love when we had Rob Brennan here a few years ago. He said this, the idolatry, idolatry is wanting something that God has not given you. That idolatry is wanting something that God has not given you. <clears throat> so one, you shall have no other gods before me. Being the object, of, our object of worship should be God and God alone. Number two, verse eight, you shall not make for yourselves an idol in any form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of their fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who keep my commandments. That sounds simple. I mean, we're, we're not like the, uh, the Israelite people who actually took all their silver and their gold and melted it down and made a calf and bowed down to this calf, right? That, that's not us. We got this, right? We don't make objects. I don't go to my workshop and whittle something out of wood and bow down to it. You know, I don't go out to my car and go, hey, car. No, we don't do that, right? I, I haven't seen any of you guys do that. That would be kind of strange, right? Uh, yeah, that, that's one thing that God is talking about. Because people at the time, they did that a lot. They did that a lot. See, number two here talks about our order of worship. It's the way in which God wants to be worshipped. God does not want us to take objects and replace Him with those objects. Or try and fit God into a box. God is huge! You can't just put Him in a box and say, Here, God, you're now inside this chair and I'm going to worship this chair. Or God is the planet and I'm going to worship the planet. I'm going to worship Mother Earth. Listen, do you know anybody who does that? They don't bat on to Mother Earth, but they treat Mother Earth like she's God. I have co-workers like that. They're a little nuts. All right? I call them tree huggers, but this is like tree huggers to the extreme. Okay, um, I'm a sinner because I don't drive a Prius. All right? That's how she views me. All right? it's, it's, a, it's a little bit on the edge. All right? She thinks that serving this planet... And everything about it will get her a better life, get her, you know, heaven. Why are we not to make objects, anything physical or tangible, an item to worship instead of God himself? Or to take God and try to represent him? Because you can't see God, you can't, he's no form or void, you can't, you can't. Make them into a shape, right? Why not? Well, one, he's a spirit. And two, he says what? I am a jealous God. God's jealous. You know, I'm a jealous husband sometimes. All right. But God says that he's jealous. What does he mean by that? See, God has likes. He has dislikes. And he says this, listen. I put my love my effort and my attention into making you as a person. I put special thought into making who you are. 
I sent my only son to die for you as an individual. I am the only person in the entire universe who should have your devotion, your love, your attention. Nothing else in this life should get the glory that I get from you. Because I made you. I care about you. No one cares about you more than me. And if you show someone the love and gratitude or desire more than you do me, I'm jealous of that. I'm jealous of that. If one of my kids wants to spend more time with someone else than me, (coughs) sorry, that's going to make me upset. That's really going to make me upset. My favorite time with Hannah right now is to come home from school every day and we wrestle every day after school. I want to wrestle, Daddy. I want to wrestle. That's what she wants every day. You know what? If someone else walks in my house and she wants to wrestle with that person more than me, we got problems. Because now I'm jealous. That's my kid. No one loves her more than me. No one has put as much time or money or energy into her than me. I want everything she's got. Because I deserve it. Because I'm her dad. Or her mom can have something too. I'm her dad. That's what God's saying here. I want all the attention. I want all the love. I want all the service. Because I'm a jealous God and I made you. Now, in the New Testament, John chapter 2, let me get this so I don't paraphrase it wrong. Jesus is teaching the people how we are to worship. (coughs) Excuse me. John chapter 2, verse 23. I will start in verse 22. After he was sorry, after he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture. That's not the right reference at all. <laughs> That's not the right reference at all. I am sorry. How did I get that wrong? All right, I'll tell I'll just I'll, I'll paraphrase. Remember Jesus is talking with um the woman at the well, and he's saying to her, a time is coming when you will not worship here on this mountain or on that mountain. But a time is coming when what? When you will worship in spirit and in truth. God expects us to worship him in both spirit and in truth. All right? Ascribing God his worth in spirit and truth. Now, John... Fourteen six says this, I am the way, I am the, it's right there now, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes to the Father expects through me. Truth being this, when we worship God, who are we worshiping? We're worshiping Jesus Christ because he is the one and only truth. There's no other person worthy of praise. The truth found in the scripture here, in this Bible, is the only thing that we are to ascribe Full devotion to, because it's truth. There's nothing wrong in this book. Everything that's written here is the Word of God. 
John 3, 6 says this, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Unless you be born again, you cannot worship God. It's physically impossible. Unless you've accepted Jesus Christ into your life as your own personal Savior, you can't please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. And faith in Jesus Christ is not possible to please God. Because you don't have the Spirit of God living in you. When it says spirit and truth, okay, God is saying here, I want you, your whole being, to worship me. Truth. To understand, to recognize truth requires head knowledge. Okay? Spirit is the heart, the emotional side of you, through the Holy Spirit, having a burden towards God. God requires both. You need to recognize intellectually who Jesus Christ is, who God is. And when you want to worship Him, there should be an emotional connection there from your heart. Now, worship is not a measure of how great a building is. How beautiful it looks. Alright? Worship is not your location. Worship is not dependent on how many people are in attendance. Worship is not the quality of music or displays Right? It's not how riveting you feel after a message. See, we tend to get wrapped up as a human race in the externals. Uh, I'm, I'm not trying to knock anybody here, but sometimes you'll see people going, Praise Jesus in the songs, right? Sometimes you get the people, you ever seen their facial expressions just completely change? Right? When, they're, when they're singing or whatever, they, they completely, they fall on their knees sometimes and they're swaying. All right? A lot of externalness going on when they're worshiping God. What does God see? God does not look at the outward appearance, but He looks at the heart. Now, I'm not saying that raising your hand when praising God and worshiping God is bad. I'm not saying that swaying when you're praising God or worshiping God is bad. I'm not saying that. God looks at the heart. See, if those things are happening because you're looking for attention you got a problem. Because you should be giving God your attention, not looking for everyone else going on. Hey, anybody see me? I'm really, I'm, I'm really feeling it right now. Everybody watching me now? Okay? That's a problem. Now, I'll tell you this. If you're worshiping God, praise Jesus. I love you, God. That does not say to me that you're really loving God right now. Okay? You, there should be no stone face singing these praise and worship songs here. All right, that's a problem. Right? Your outward appearance is connected to your emotions. So if you truly are worshiping and praising God, then you should have a smile on your face because it's a good thing and you're happy or joyful. Okay? Sometimes your body gets moving. I get that. So earnest outward expression is possible. We know that David did lots of dancing. Right? We know in the Old Testament there's plenty of times where God was... Okay with people dancing and worshiping him. He's okay with that. But I'm saying, if, it's a, if it becomes an attention problem where you're the only one doing it and everybody's going, oh, what's up with that over there? You know, and now I'm crazy distracted. I can't even focus anymore because I'm so distracted watching this guy dance around and jumping all over the place inside church. That might be a problem. God wants worship from your heart 
He wants worship from your mind, in spirit and in truth, he says. Yeah, when someone new walks into our church, if we're all down face, praising these songs, sitting in our chairs, being mopey, they're going to be like, what the heck is up with this? I don't want any part of that. They don't look joyful. They're going to walk right out of here. But they'll never come back again, right? So our bodies, externally, should have some form of joy in them. Okay? How that shows in your own life is different, okay, for each of us. Just know that external signs are important, but they're not the essence of pure worship. See, it is not what we do or don't do with our hands or what someone else is doing or not doing, but what we do with our hearts and minds, all because of the one who has captured our hearts and minds. What is going on inside of you, in your heart and your mind, is what counts towards God. That's what he sees. And if your heart is in pure affection and just a love with God, that's what he sees, guys. That's what's counting. That's what's counting. Where are we at now? Deuteronomy 5. Flip it back. So, the order of worship, number two. You shall not make any other gods or idols for yourself. It's the way God wants to be Worshipped. Eleven. This is a big one. I got a few minutes left. Verse eleven, Deuteronomy five. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. For the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. A lot of people say, Don't use his name in vain. And everybody even in my own Bible it says right here, right next to this. Vanity. Oh my God. Oh gosh. I can't believe that just happened, right? OMG. Right? And that's what everybody's like, oh, don't use the name of Jesus. Jesus Christ. I can't believe that just happened, right? We hear that all the time in this world. I'm trying to do that little reverently. Sorry. But um, I'm trying to just. You guys know where I'm going with this, right? People around the world use the name of Jesus completely wrong. They use that as a swear word. They use it as profanity. Do Christians do any of this stuff? Do Christians misuse the name of God ever? OMG. Yeah, that's the problem. God is the most high supreme being in the universe. What do you mean by that? OMG. Oh my God. Like, really? How about this? Staff meetings canceled today. Thank God. Thank God staff meetings canceled today. I should get to go home today. What do you mean by that? Are you really going, are you really saying in your heart, thank you God that I don't have to go to this meeting today. I can really go home and spend time with my family. Like, is, that, is that really what you're saying? Are you really giving God credit and praise? Or is it just a saying that you're just showing to, to show, I, I don't know. It's wrong. It's wrong. Oh my Lord. Oh my, oh my Lord. Like, I, I hear it all the time from Christians. It's not okay. Are you really using his name in a good, proper manner? I don't think so. I don't think so. Now, is it okay for you get in an accident and no one's hurt and you go, thank God. Thank you, God, that no one got hurt. Is that okay? Yes, because you're attributing 
a moment in time to God that he was good to you and you didn't necessarily deserve it. Yes, thank you, God. Yeah, that's fine. But we've got to be careful because those things slip out of our mouths so fast, even as Christians. And when you read this one here, we all say, man, it must be about profanity. It must be about profanity. It's so much more than that. But I don't want to get off profanity yet because God takes his name very seriously. Very seriously. The name of just God, the name of Jesus. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess, in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, that he is Lord. One day, the name Jesus will be said, and everything is just going to stop in place. Every single person, every single created being is going to stop and fall down and worship. Just the simple name of Jesus. The day is coming when that's going to happen, whether you like it or not. In Ezekiel 36, God's, you don't have to turn everybody's going to read it. Ezekiel 36, verse 19, God's talking to his own people there, and he's trying to explain to them something. He's trying to explain to them why he brought disaster upon his own people. So, and they were dispersed throughout the countries. Remember, God came in through the Assyrians and scattered his people, killed many of them, and scattered Israel all over the world, right? Remember that? Okay, well, you can read about it. Okay. And they were dispersed throughout the countries, and I judged them according to their ways and their deeds. When they came to the nations, wherever they want, they profaned my holy name. When they said of them, these are the people of the Lord, and yet they have gone out of this land. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations wherever they went. See, the Israelite people were misusing the name of God. And God said, I ain't having that. My name is so special. My name is so holy. I ain't even going to have that for my own people. And he judged his own people by the way they used God's name. He takes his name very seriously. We should have some reverence for God's name. We should have a little healthy fear for who God is. We are not to mess around and just haphazardly throw his name wherever we want. You can go back and uh, listen to one of James's sermons. You know, swear by who? Swear by God. Do I, I, swear, I swear by God that this will happen. You know? Um, if you're going to make an oath or a swear, okay, don't use God's name because you're making a sincere oath or promise before God that you're going to do something. And there's sometimes in your life where you make a vow to God. Say, God, based on who you are, I'm going to do this. Okay, you better be careful with that. You better be careful with that. Now, there are people in Scripture who've done that. I make a vow, and I will do that. You better see it through. You better darn see it through. So be very careful how you do that. Even more importantly, misusing the name of God is so much bigger than just simply profanity. It's how you represent His name. See, we know that we are Christ's ambassadors. Right? We are His people here in order to represent Him. 2 Corinthians 5. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As through God, we are making His appeal through us. And we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Because God made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so we might become the righteousness of God. On earth, we as Christians are His righteousness, shown to the world. 
His name stamped on your forehead. You might not visibly see it there, but everything I do in my life represents Him. People in my workplace know I'm a Christian. Title, Jesus, you know, Jesus lover, all right? Jesus freak, okay? Everything I do represents His name. Everything I do represents His name. Do you do a good job at that? Do you put the bumper sticker on your car with a little fish on it? Yet you're driving around and people are like, oh, there goes a Christian. (laughs) Honk, 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 get out of my way, right? Seriously? You're misusing the name of the Lord right there because you're giving him a bad rep. That's how Christians behave. You got a Christian bumper sticker on your car? You wear Christian t-shirts. You wear Christian jewelry. Okay? You're representing God here on earth. Be careful how you act. You're misusing his name when you act inappropriately because you're giving him a bad rap. Do people at your workplace, at your school, know that you go to church? You, re- you represent Brantford Bible Child, but most importantly, you represent Jesus Christ as the head. I have a co-worker. Everybody, I'm not going to names, but everybody knows who he is. Because he is a minister. Doctor. He's a minister. And you, you know, he knows the word of God. Yet nobody wants to work with this guy. Because he's hot-tempered, lashes out, yells. I'm like, man, you got your PhD in divinity, you minister at a church, yet nobody wants any part of your relationship with your God in our school because of your actions. Like that's, that's pretty bad. And people say, hey, Brian, you worship the same God that he worships? I'm like, um, yeah. I mean, because we're both Bible-believing people. Uh, yeah. Well, how come, how come? I'm like, I, I, I don't know. It, it put in a bad representation on God. And that's what the Israelite people did. Everybody in the world knew that the Israelites were God's chosen people. People still know that today, that Israel is special in God's eyes. And when Israel was giving God's name a bad rap, guess what? He dealt with it swiftly. He dealt with it. I will not tolerate that from my own people. Will God tolerate that from us today? I don't think so. I don't think so. We need to be very careful how we represent God. How we misuse His name. And it's very hard because you're like walking on eggshells. Okay, God, i got to be very careful today how I act, how I behave because I don't want to screw up. And you know what? There's some some reverence to that. Thinking about how you act, what you say, what you do before you start. Because everything you do, everything you say, people are looking at us and saying, hmm, yeah, they, they follow this God in the Bible and yet they behave like that, yeah, that, I don't want any part of that. They're misusing God's name. <coughs> we are to be very careful with God's holy, precious name. And the last one, we'll finish up with this real quick. Observe the Sabbath, verse 12, verse 12 
Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as to the Lord God who commanded you. For six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is the Sabbath day to the Lord your God. And on it you shall do no work. Neither you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your manservant, nor your maidservant, nor your ox, nor your donkey, or any animals, nor the alien within your gates, so that the manservant, maidservant may rest, as do you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that you, sorry, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath. This is the only one in the New Testament we don't, found, we don't find being supported in the epistles or Jesus Christ's teachings towards us. That means it's not important. Well, God worked six days. On the seventh day, he rested. He tells his people here, do the same thing. See, God expects us as individuals to worship him every day. Every day. But once a week, he's like, listen, you're going to stop what you're doing. You're going to take a break. And you're going to come worship me. Corporately. Now, in the New Testament... What day of the week that happened to fall on? The first day of the week we find, all right? We find the, um, we find the New Testament saints gathering the first day of the week to worship God. So, yes, today is not the Sabbath, but today is the day that we get together corporately and we worship God. And God, Jesus Christ, or not Jesus, Paul does say in the Scripture, do not forsake the gathering of the assembly. Means when God's people come together, Show up. Be there. It's important. God expects Christians to get together to worship Him. The Christian life is not an individual walk. You take a hot fire and you take a log out of that fire and put it off to the side. How long does that log survive? A few minutes. It's still going great. And then it slowly fizzles out. You take that log and put it back in the fire, back into a huge fire again, right? The Christian life is to be walked together. You take, you take yourself out of the equation and put yourself off the side. Remove yourself from the gathering of the saints, worship God corporately, sharing your gifts corporately with the, with the saints the way God designed us to do. Guess what? You're going to fizzle out. You're still saved. You're still part of the family. But you fizzle out. God expects us to come together. Be there when it happens. And, and all of you right now are doing a great job of that because you're here. Okay? You're here. Do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Hebrews chapter 10. Well, let's close in prayer because time's well over. And we're going to move into corporate prayer for a few minutes. Chris, would you mind closing this up when time's up? Thank you. All right, I'll start us off. <coughs> 